The, the real one that I was asked to uh, share with you is uh, just a reading of the tell, Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. And so this will be the thing that'll close us, close us out here. Um, did, how, uh, let's see, okay, let me, I'm gonna see if I can get that scary, uh, not that kind of creepy house back up again, just so I feel like there's less um, 
pressure on my face. All right. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> true, true, nervous, very, very dreadfully nervous. I, I had been, and am, but why? <laughs> why would you say that I am mad? The, the disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all else was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken and observe how healthily and how calmly I tell you the whole story. <laughs> it is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Uh, object, there was none. Passion, there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold, I had no desire. I, I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had this eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so by degrees, very... Gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now, this is the point. <laughs> you fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded and with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man during the week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it, oh, so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed, that no light shone out. And then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. <laughs> would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well into the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh, so cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked. But I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And I did this for seven long nights, every night, just at midnight. But I found the eye was always closed. And so it was impossible to do the work, for it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning when the day broke, I went boldly to the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring how he has passed the night. So, you see, he would have had been very profound old man indeed to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than mine. 
Never did that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, my own sagacity. I could scarcely contain the feelings of my triumph. To think that there I was, opening the door little by little, and not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly, as if startled. Now, you may think that I drew back, but no. His room was black as pitch, with the thick darkness, for the shutters were closed and fastened through fear of robbers. And so, I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing on it steadily, steadily. I had my head in and was just about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening. The old man sprang up in bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quiet and still and said nothing. For a whole hour, I did not move a muscle. And in the meantime, I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in bed listening, just as I had done night after night hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently, I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was a groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or grief. Oh, no, it was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it had welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo the horror horrors that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since that first slight noise when he had turned in the bed. His fears had been ever growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them causeless, but he could not. He'd been saying to himself, Oh, <laughs> it is only the wind in the chimney. It is only a mouse crossing on the floor. Or it is merely a cricket who has made a single chirp. Yes, he had been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions, but he had found it all in vain. All in vain, because death, in approaching, had stalked him, his black shadow before him, and enveloped the victim. And it was a mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, <laughs> although he neither saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lying down, I resolved to open a little of very little crevice of the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length a simple, dim ray, like the thread of a spider, shot out from the crevice and fell upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open. And I, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I, I saw it with perfect distinctness, all in a dull blue with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct precisely on the damned spot. And 
<laughs> Have I not told you what you mistake for madness is but over acuteness of sense? <laughs> now, I say there came to my ears a dull, low, quick sound which as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldiers into courage. And even yet I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could to maintain the ray upon the eye. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder. I say louder every moment. Do you mark me well that I have told you that I am nervous? <laughs> so I am. And now, at the dead hour of night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house. So strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet, for some minutes longer, I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder, louder. I thought the heart must burst, and now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's time has come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern, leaped into the room. He shrieked once, only once. And in an instant, I dragged him down to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. <laughs> and I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, I heard the heartbeat on the muffled floor with a sound. This, however, did not vex me. It was not enough to be heard through the wall. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there for many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If you still think me mad, you would think so no longer when I described the wise, wise precautions I took for when it came to concealment of the body. The night waned, and I worked hastily, but in silence. First, I dismembered the corpse. I, I cut off the head and the arms and the legs, and then I took up three planks from the floor of the chamber and deposited them all beneath them, scantlings. Then I replaced the board so cleverly, so cunningly. No, no human eye, not even his, <laughs> could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot of whatever. I, I had no wary for that. A tub had caught it all. <laughs> when I had made an end to these labors, it was four o'clock. Still dark as midnight as the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down and to open it with a light heart, for, for what have I now to fear? There entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. 
A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. (laughs) I smiled. For what had I to fear? I bade the gentleman welcome. The shriek, I said, (laughs) was my own dream. The old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took the visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them to rest from their fatigues, while I myself, in a wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spots beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things. But ere long, I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ears, but they still sat and chatted. The the, the ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more distinct, and I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definiteness until, at length, I had found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt now it grew. I grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice. (laughs) And yet the sound increased. What could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound, much such as the sound a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I aroused, I I argued about trifles in a high key with violent gesticulations, and the noise steadily increased. Why would it not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides, as excited to my fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. Oh! God, what could I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore, I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting and grated it upon the boards, but the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, 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 and the men still chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible? They heard not. Almighty God, no, they heard, they suspected, they knew, and they were making a mockery of my horror. This I thought, and this I think, but anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die, and now, hark, louder, 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 villains, I shrieked. Dissemble no more. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here is the beating of his hideous heart. Thank you. Okay.